Welcome back to the Prepare Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Hanton. We're about to start season 10 of this podcast. And you remember last season, our series was on grieving, what it looks like for us to go through the grieving process and how grief can take on so many different forms. And now we're starting a new series on mental health awareness. Mental health is always a good topic for discussion, but I really feel like we've come off and are still in a season where taking care of our mental health is more important than ever. So to start out this series, we're actually going to take a trip back in time to 2015, and we're going to kick it off with episode two, when my predecessor, Sarah McCoola, who actually began this podcast, interviewed Dr. Karen Harula. And even if you've already heard this podcast, I do encourage you to listen again because you might just be challenged or pick up something new this time around. I should also mention that if you or a loved one is struggling with anything mental health related, Dr. Karen is going to mention some important resources for you to jot down, but I just want to make you aware of two things. The National Alliance for Mental Illness website, or NAMI, N-A-M-I, And if you're in immediate crisis right now, pick up your phone and call the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988, just those three numbers, 988. I hope you enjoy this podcast with Dr. Karen Harula. Welcome to the Prepare Podcast. I'm Sarah McCoola, and I'll be your host. The Prepare Podcast is produced by the Salvation Army Central Territory Women's Ministries Department. We meet with women of faith and a ministry as they share their experiences and wisdom to prepare and equip us in our faith pursuits and callings. For episode two, I sit down with Dr. Karen Harula. Karen is a psychologist and mental health provider. She is specially trained in the integration of faith and spirituality and therapy. Karen's also a salvationist, and she answers a lot, a lot of my questions on how to better love, support, and encourage and worship alongside those in the church with mental health diagnoses. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Karen. Hi. Thank you so much for making time to be with me today and welcome me into your home, which I'm so honored to be with you in your in your space, in your home, and um, to hear more about you and then more about the profession that you are a doctor in, which I think is really, really cool. And... Um, we're going to talk about something that is becoming more talked about in the church and in, in, in society in general, which I think is a needed conversation about mental health. And we're hearing more diagnoses, mm-hmm. whether it's bipolar or borderline personality disorder or depression, anxiety. What I really want to learn more about and I think a lot of our listeners do too 
is how to love those people well. I just want to hear about you first, about who Karen Harula is. All right. Well, um, I am a wife and mother of three children and a fifth-generation Salvationist. Uh, My family goes all the way back to the booths in England. So um, our church uh, has always meant a lot to us. And um, my parents were Salvation Army officers, and I was raised overseas. They were missionary officers. And so um, I had the opportunity to live um, in places outside of the United States. I was born in Puerto Rico and um, raised primarily in Mexico City. So I'm Spanish-speaking and bicultural in that sense, a little bit different because I was raised in a different culture. And I love that about myself, but I also understand that to be an adjustment, you know, and, and I still live with that reality of my life every day. Um, I have four siblings. There's five of us. Just um, a love of family, a love of the Lord, um, and a comfortable home in the Salvation Army. Can you share a bit about your journey into your the mental health profession and why you chose that field? So um, I first studied psychology in high school, and I um, was a senior in high school, second semester of my senior year, and I was getting to take this college-level psychology class. And um, I absolutely fell in love and knew right away that um, psychology made the world make sense. And it just, you know, I've heard some people talk about their conversion experiences, like the sky seemed bluer and, you know, like everything just uh, was brighter and clearer. And that's how I felt when I first encountered psychology. It was like I was finding myself and who God made me to be. And all of a sudden, all of it made sense. And so um, I wanted to be a psychologist right away. I was not a crazily successful high school student. (laughs) And um, I did not know it at the time, but I have ADHD. And um, I was not a very good student. And I did not have very good grades. And when I told my high school guidance counselor that I thought I wanted to be a psychologist, she laughed at me and said that there was no way that I could get through graduate school. So I still planned to go to college and get a degree in psychology, and I didn't get into college. So I thought, oh, well, I must not actually be smart enough for college. Mm -hmm. So I got a job. I moved to the States. My parents were still overseas. I moved back home and got a job and just started working and supporting myself and had a little detour where I thought, well, if I'm not smart enough for college and I can't be a licensed psychologist, I still want to help people, and I still know that having studied psychology already, I, I know kind of that I could be intuitive into people's problems. And I had always been that person that people came to for advice. And even as a kid growing up and as a young adult. And so I went to training thinking that I could um, be an officer and counsel people in that role. And God really um, had an interesting way of allowing that experience to happen and to be a good experience for me but to close that door. And so I met my husband and got married and we um, grew and matured and learned more about ourselves. And I realized that I really did need to go to college and become a psychologist. So after having three kids, I uh, enrolled in our local community college here outside of Chicago and um, just started going to night school. And I didn't have the confidence that I could actually do it. I just knew that not doing it was making me miserable. 
mm-hmm. and I was running out of time for the amount of schooling I would have to do to even have a career left, you know, at my age. And so there I was with a baby and two older children um, at night school and uh, did two years there and then transferred to a local four-year college and got my BA in psychology and then um, immediately started graduate school at Wheaton College. And while I was at Wheaton, I earned a master's and a doctorate in psychology and a master's degree in theology. So that was five more years of my life. And that included an internship residency year in San Antonio. So we moved as a family to San Antonio, Texas for a year and thought we'd be there for a good length of time and shockingly we were not we were only there for the one year and then the lord directed me to a postdoctoral fellowship in my specialty area in st louis and so that you know my specialty area it's working with the church and specifically clergy and so there's a program there in st louis where i was specialty trained in the assessment of clergy candidates and um, clergy in the field and then we had an intensive outpatient program for clergy to come there to our institute in st louis for about six months worth of daily treatment so i got to be on that treatment team working with religious professionals um, in that setting. So um, then St. Louis also only lasted a year, but then all of my education and supervision was complete, and so we returned to the Chicagoland area, and I've been practicing now for about two and a half years. You mentioned how in St. Louis you were working with clergy. I wanted to ask, should clergy in the church treat those with mental health diagnoses any different than others? Mm. It's a really good question because I think it's a conflict that comes up a lot. And um, I know uh, people's heart is to be sensitive and caring and welcoming and loving and and what that needs to look like can really vary. So my my answer is always it depends. Each individual um, may be struggling, even two people in your congregation with the same diagnosis, maybe living with that diagnosis very differently and experiencing it. Um, differently. And so I think one of the things that um, just some general broad rules is that everyone deserves respect and um, the dignity of their humanity. So someone in, in our congregation may have cancer, may have lupus, may have diabetes. There are things that change in their life because of those diagnoses. And so we can be sensitive about meals that we prepare at the core or including things in menus, you know, keeping those specific individuals in mind. And yet when it comes to mental illness, I think often we don't know, or we may not understand what is sensitive, um, what would be helpful. Um, And I think so in general ways, being open to the fact that people may not receive what you've planned very well, or may not understand how they fit into programs in the same way that others do. And, you know, having an openness, a conversation and being willing to sit down and learn more. Because um, oftentimes, what we see as maybe someone's struggles, they don't experience necessarily as struggles, they more experience not feeling well liked, not feeling well received, not being very well understood as the Mm -hmm. struggle, what they're living with, they may always have lived with, they already know what it's like to live with anxiety, or they know what it's like to live with depression. And it's that others aren't willing to hear from their lived experience and take those conversations into account when making decisions and when planning. Um, I think, 
all core officers and people in leadership positions need to be mindful of good, healthy boundaries. Um, professionalism does not mean coldness, but um, treating everyone the same amount of availability and the same amount of compassion, um, whether or not they have a diagnosis or not, and then holding those boundaries well, not only for their own mental health and to demonstrate and model what it's like to live with good boundaries, but um, sometimes when we're in relationship with people who um, do struggle to get along well and be well understood by others, we may be the only people in their lives trying to model good boundaries with them and to give them the opportunity to be themselves appropriately in group settings and in church settings. So even though holding boundaries can sometimes be challenged and there may be pushback, those are really important principles um, in in ministry settings because we can we can get over familiar sometimes um, we can get more comfortable with some in our groups than in with others and so that's when exclusivity can feel painful or people can feel left out and so just having a mindfulness of I need to talk to this person and find out why they seemed so uncomfortable today or let me make a point of visiting that person in their home and understanding what their life is like. The same way we do when we bring food to people with medical illnesses and support them and offer those kinds of resources with mental illness, it's like silence. Like we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't have the same kind of givenness to supports like we do with medical illnesses. One of the things um, I know that I have a hard time with if if I'm interacting with someone that I know has a mental illness in my personality type, I think with everybody, I I don't want to enable bad behavior. So what would you say to that if, um, and I guess that's another, and we're going to get further to that in a bit about when I, even the way I just said that, Mm -hmm. bad behavior, is Mm -hmm. it? How, how do you look at that when it's um, someone that has a mental illness and I don't want to enable certain behaviors? Do I need to make allowances for them knowing their capacity of, of a certain emotion or what they can tolerate? Do I need to um, make allowances or, or is that considered enabling? Mm, that's a really, really good question because I think we all know enough, even from the addictions literature to think of enabling as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a couple important things to keep in mind. One is unless you're actually professionally trained, you really won't know um, how to diagnose and treat maybe what the person is dealing with. So you shouldn't see yourself as the first line treatment. One of the things that I want to encourage people so much to do is to be supportive and use um, accepting language around the need for real professional help. So let's not talk about counseling like it's the end of the world. Let's not talk about getting professional help like, well, we've tried everything else and nothing else is working and we're desperate. So let's throw you out some therapy and see if that works. We don't have positive language. So when someone comes to us and tells us, you know, they've had this pain in their side for months, we would recommend they go to see a doctor. So when someone comes to us and says, I can't handle, you know, my life, stress, emotions, whatever it is. Why aren't we more welcoming and inviting them to find proper professional supports? And so not that everyone needs to stand up and talk about their own experiences with therapy and, you know, be overly disclosing or personal, but just to use positive, supportive language around 
you know, the benefits of really getting the right supports. I think the other thing then is you can then talk to them about what they're learning in therapy, what they're gaining in therapy. How can I help you when you're in church support what you and your therapist are working on? Mm -hmm. It's a totally different conversation of, well, can I do that? Should I do that? Can I not do that? You know, I think um, we all want to be helpful and we all want to be loving. And sometimes we're not sure how to make those both happen at the same time. And it is a challenge, but because not everyone in the church is professionally trained to do it, we shouldn't see ourselves as the treatment team. We should see ourselves as the support team. There should be professionals on the treatment team. And, you know, I, I as a therapist love collaborating with other people in my clients' lives because it, it usually takes a team to really help someone who's um, living with a serious diagnosis, who struggles to get along. And so when you see bad behavior or something that we wouldn't otherwise just condone, maybe it's cussing and other forms of coarse language, maybe it's yelling, maybe it's other things that we would correct as a bad behavior to not start there, to start in a place of accepting them as an individual and meeting them where they're at and asking them more about what they're going through. Why did that trigger you? Why did that, you know, cause you to act that way? Help them to feel loved and accepted, even though they used maybe bad behavior of some kind, but be willing to say, but you're still welcome here. Let's talk about why this came about. Why did this happen? Um, I've, unfortunately, too often heard the story that, well, we're just not equipped for that here. We can't have that here. That's too scary for other people, or maybe it's dangerous. And I'm certainly not saying we cross all boundaries and just, you know, let everybody uh, have a free for all in our buildings. But there are supportive ways that we can be a part of helping them. That's not enabling them, not ignoring the problem, but it's also not feeling condemning and shaming to them. Um, Because their experience of how they can handle themselves may be very different from what we expect as the norm. It's really helpful to hear that we should be a part of the support team Mm. and not the treatment. Because a number of personalities, mine included, wants to fix. Mm. And um, but we can we can't fix, but we can help. What are some basic thoughts that we should know and keep in mind when loving individuals with mental health diagnoses? Mm. I've touched on some of this already, Mm -hmm. just the idea that um, we change our language to um, not overly pathologize um, and label people. That can feel very painful. So we Mm. don't talk about folks with mental illness like we used to. And so um, the norm used to be, oh, that's a depressive or she's bipolar. We don't use that language anymore. And it's a shift that takes time and adjustment. I think sometimes even I might slip um, just in an effort to be quick. But the reality is, we're all people. So whether we have diabetes or whether we have uh, borderline personality disorder, we're people first. Mm. Um, we are all people made in the image of God. And so Susie has XYZ diagnoses, or we understand her to live with um, bipolar. It is clunkier language, maybe some may criticize, but the labeling is so painful and it makes people feel like they're nothing but their label. So all I am is depressed. That's no way to find hope in life. That's no way to feel good about yourself. Um, 
any of those diagnoses. The other thing, unfortunately, is that there are stigmas and there are um, other beliefs attached to those based on messages in the media, movies, TV shows that poke fun and, and joke about mental illness in ways that are hurtful. So you say something like borderline personality disorder and all sorts of media images come to our mind of how those things have been portrayed to us um, in TV shows and like that. So it's difficult for people then who do carry some of those diagnoses to know um, and then fear what people are going to think of them based on what's out there and a lack of real information. And that's why I think most of us still benefit from asking more questions than acting like we know the answers. Mm. That leads me into the next question um, about more about the language and the words we use. And should we even refer or think of individuals with these diagnoses? Should we use the words like people that suffer or or mental health problems, those type of adjectives, are they a part of the stigma problem? Should we even use them? Yeah, that's, that's a part of the conversation because suffering is subjective. Um, and some people talk about suffering as a gift. And some people with a, a pervasive diagnosis don't consider themselves to suffer. They understand themselves with it, but they don't see it as suffering. And so I think it's um, helpful to, to find out where that person is at. And again, we talk about people with lived experience more than long-term problems or suffering. We talked, we talk about people with mental health, um, lived experiences. So what has that been like for you to live with? In addition to all the other things in your life, a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder. Um, and so, yes, I think we assume too much and we overly put down, uh, individuals when we assume we know what their experiences have been like and call it suffering if maybe they mm. don't and to understand where they're coming from. And, and again, because individuals with the same diagnosis may experience them very differently. Um, we can't function from stereotypes. They're not helpful. And one of the things that's particularly interesting and fascinating to me about mental health is that, um, it's not like medicine. It's not like a blood test and go, oh, you've got X, Y, Z. No, your presentation of anxiety affects you this way. And someone else with the exact same diagnosis will have totally different presentations of anxiety. So it makes my job super fascinating and never dull, <laughs> um, you know, but it also means that in order for there to be group responses, we have to be sensitive to not overgeneralizing and not believing that, oh, I've, I've heard of that one. I know what that means. I'm a doctor and I don't always know what that means, you know, so I have to ask and I have to approach those people with more curiosity and ask for more information and let them share what it's like for them. Because I do have, you know, some idea and I have been trained to kind of identify things in broad senses, but how it's actually like for them is going to be very individual. And if we can change our language and not feel, again, you say, because we all have a sense of wanting to be helpful, wanting to fix, being uncomfortable when other people are suffering around us. We want people to suffer less. These are not bad things, but we go about them maybe a little clumsily and we don't actually end up being able to be helpful because it comes across as clumsy and insensitive and not applicable maybe to each individual. When a book just came to mind, which is not about this topic, but it's about poverty mm. and it's called when helping hurts, mm -hmm. is there some ways that our 
Or can you talk about some ways that our helping can hurt and how to, mm. I mean, you just touched on it already a bit, yeah. but ways that we can kind of figure that part out when, when to know when to be quiet, mm. when just to listen, when to give space, when not to give space, when to be present. Can you, can you talk anything about that? I think, um, you know, I've, I've heard of too many, um, really sad, unfortunate things that have been said in churches, um, to people who've opened up or tried to ask for help or a church starting a program, they're ill-equipped to run because they didn't have enough training or didn't reach out for enough help to really know what they were doing. And sometimes working with this, these folks and, and, and this population and, it ending up being such a painful experience, um, so much more painful than anybody's good intentions to be helpful. And so um, one thing I would say is, you know, don't start something you really aren't capable of running. All the good intentions in the world are not enough to run a program or support group or anything like that without trained professionals in your midst or without people who don't really know what it's like to work with this population and have a certain tolerance for it because it is sometimes offensive behavior. It is sometimes outside of the bounds of, of what we're used to and what feels normal or comfortable to us in the church and in church culture. So um, I think, you know, there are ways to gain education without, you know, being a psychologist. I'm not saying you can only do things if you're a psychologist, but there are resources that um, we should be taking better advantage of to offer those supports, but maybe not always feel like we're the ones with the answers. There are other organizations, there are other outreach opportunities. If you're in larger cities, I would really recommend people look up NAMI in their local area, the National Association for Mental Illness, and they exist to educate and to end stigma. And they um, have some educational programs that they will run in your church for free, specifically on how can faith communities help address this issue. So I can't come to every corner of the territory, but, you know, this program exists. And in communities where NAMI exists, you know, you could either attend that in another church and and gain some learning or invite that um, event to happen in your church. And they offer all kinds of educational um, programming for free. So I, it's really about admitting we don't know it all, mm. <laughs> admitting this is big, and this is big in people's lives. One in four adults in this country will have a mental health diagnosis at one point or another. So that's a quarter of the population. Um, that's a lot of folks. If you look across a congregation, that's a lot of people. So yeah, it's important that we have this conversation. And yes, it's important that um, we end the stigmatizing language and um, we be willing to be curious about it, ask more questions, use um, positive language around finding professional help. One of the things you said was kind of a good check for me in that about not just starting something kind of my words rashly, mm. you know, like when I have an idea, I'm like, I'm just, let's just put it out there. And then if we say it, then it has to happen <laughs> <laughs> when really it, it should be more prayerful and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we should be obedient when we feel God is calling us to certain ministries, but to do it well mm-hmm. and not be so rash. So that's a helpful reminder to be thoughtful and prayerful about 
entering into really any ministry and mm-hmm. starting, especially when it has a sensitive topic um, where you, you're helping could do some damage if it's not done well, mm-hmm. but also the good reminder that you don't have to be a professional, but get those professionals involved mm-hmm. so that it doesn't do damage mm-hmm. and be, again, be prayerful. Um, you mentioned that resource NAMI, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what are some other resources that would be helpful to people, especially people in the church wanting to love and love well and do ministry for those? Mm-hmm. There's an excellent book um, that I read last year, and this woman lives in the Chicago suburbs, and I believe you know her, but um, she's written a book. It's really excellent, and the title of the book is Troubled Minds, Mental Illness, and the Church's Mission by Amy Simpson. And this is um, written from the perspective of someone who has a family member, loved one with um, severe mental illness and all the kind of ways you could see that affecting a family and a church um, happened in this woman's family. So this is definitely first person experience for her. And she writes about things that were done for them and to them that were helpful and things that were not how they um, coped Um, when it wasn't comfortable to talk about it. And so from that disappointment and from those experiences, she's really made it her mission to educate on this issue specifically. And in her book, she lists a lot of really great resources as well as far as um, nationwide networks of faith-based helping websites and other books and um, studies that can be done. And she also, um, I think, talks about churches that she's aware of that have great mental health ministries. And I think most core are probably not going to be equipped to set something up like that unless they have professionals in their congregation or resources in their communities. But again, it's about officers and local officers being informed about what is available in their communities. Where would you refer someone who was sharing this with you? County The county health department in some counties um, does a great job with a mental health intake kind of process. And so it's really about being informed, making sure you know what you do know and making sure you know what you don't know and being comfortable finding those resources so that when something is kind of beyond our pay grade, what we really <laughs> know how to handle, um, we know who's available to us because... The numbers are just too high for mm. people in ministry and in people's lives and wanting to help people grow, not to know what those resources are. Right. What else you got there? Oh, yeah. So I've got <laughs> some other books that I really, really love. I probably preach these guys more than they preach themselves. But um, <laughs> and I started doing an Amazon search of just books around emotional health and spirituality and Christian emotional health. And I was just typing in all sorts of words into um, the search bar. I didn't know what I was looking for. (laughs) And I came across Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And so I bought the book. I love the title. And um, what I found in there was the story of this pastor of a church in Brooklyn where um, he and his wife got to a point in their ministry after planting this uh, multicultural church. So, like, they're hitting all my favorites, right? Mm -hmm. And um, everything started falling apart. And his wife walked in one day and she's like, I quit. I can't do this anymore. This is not healthy. You are not a member of this family anymore. Like all kinds of boundary violations and hurts and just not well-managed emotions. And so out of that process and their therapy process and what they learned, they wrote uh, several books now. So 
emotionally healthy spirituality is kind of uh, the base of their teaching. And then she wrote her book originally under the title I Quit from that <laughs> moment in their lives. She's now changed the title of her book to The Emotionally Healthy Woman, which I only find regrettable because I think there's stuff in her book that applies to men too. They might not want to read a book called that. But mm. so their names are Pete and Jerry Scazzaro, S-C-A-Z-Z-E-E-R-E. R-O, sorry. Um, anyway, so they're they're great books. Um, they have a couple new, um, they have study guides that go with them. So if you would want to teach that sort of material in your core, there's like video and book guides you can work from. Um, and they have now come out with Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Leader. But before you start with any of those, I think you need to start with Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he really is able to talk about emotions, this whole realm of human life, in a way that I don't really in too many Christian resources. Mm. And I often hear messages that, well, emotions, you know, emotions aren't reliable, so we don't listen to them or Mm. emotions are fleeting, so they don't matter. And I'm thinking, yeah, well, all our fevers are fleeting, too, but we listen to those. And all the aches and pains in our bodies flee, too, but we Mm. listen to those. Why don't we listen to our emotion? This is part of who God made us. Our emotions are a lovely part of God's creation, and we should not devalue this part of Mm. our humanity. And so they talk about really facing emotions and the emotions that especially Christians like to avoid, like anger Mm. and sadness, because we think those are um, incongruent with faith. Well, no, um, they're also part of the full human experience. Mm. And another really fun resource, if you don't like reading so much, I would say watch the movie Inside Out if you haven't seen it. I haven't yet, and I really really want to. got to see the movie Inside Out. I have now paid to see it in the theater three times. And its brilliance (laughs) is obviously it's a cute Disney movie or whatever. But the whole premise of the movie is to experience um, life through the emotions of this little girl. And so you're kind of inside her brain. Mm. And they do this great job of depicting brain functioning, memory storage, and all sorts of stuff in fun, cartoony kind of ways. It's <laughs> not like a lecture in a grad school. But the the whole crux of the story is that life does not work when we suppress and try to hide certain emotions. Life does not work. We can't function. So when we try to pretend we're never afraid and we don't allow ourselves to experience our fear, we are going to make some bad choices. Mm. Fear has to be part of all the equation, like to acknowledge when things do make us fearful, to acknowledge when things make us sad. Without sadness, we don't have this perspective to have happy. Mm. We can't have happy. So all we have is a bunch of fake happy when we're never experiencing sad. So I love that movie. And I think it just puts it out there for us to really embrace This whole part of our humanity, which is our emotions, which God put there for a reason. The Holy Spirit often speaks to me through my emotions. I Mm -hmm. understand communication with God through my emotions. I feel and then I know. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, these authors really do a great job of helping people go, okay, spirituality is not about pretending we're never upset. Mm -hmm. Spirituality and Christian faith is not about never acknowledging we're sad or angry. We can be angry right at God. He would prefer it if we were honest about that. Mm -hmm. And so this material does a great job. And it also talks about woundedness in our broken world and facing those wounds instead of saying you know what I'm all better now because I'm Christian I have no wounds I need to heal they're like no you know what if you're human you've got wounds bottom line right this is a broken place we had broken parents you are broken yourself Mm. so there are wounds if you don't invite God into those wounds to help you heal them you're wasting a lot of energy trying to 
cap them up and mm-hmm. keep the scabs in place, but you are not functioning for an, from an emotionally healthy place. Mm-hmm. So their website has a lot of great resources on it as That's well. The, the, the emotionally, couple. yes, the emotionally healthy spirituality. Their website is great. There's an assessment tool on there you can take to kind of see your own emotional health. Oh, man. Um, it's good, good stuff. <laughs> like, that's exciting and scary, scary to me. I'm like, oh, man, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I really, really loved it. Um, the first time I read the book, I was like, did a Christian publishing house actually publish this? I was like so excited because wow. it just was so different. Yeah, you recommended that to me last year mm-hmm. and probably of the – 15 books I started this year that was one of two that I finished <laughs> and I I love that I love their story and um she was just even a good writer I could really mm-hmm. even imagine their apartment and and mm-hmm. I think it's in the Bronx mm-hmm. is that right and uh, yeah it was really good and I going back to Inside Out I have like I said I haven't seen it but I heard a interview on NPR with the one of the creators and they do every time they make a movie they do an early screening mm-hmm to get get the opinions Mm -hmm. and and figure out if it's working Mm -hmm. and so they had this they invited all their children and you know cousins and whatever and um so they watch it and then the next day create one of the creators takes his son to swimming lessons as he's been going to for a while and at previous to the movie he would never dive off the diving board he'd get up on it he'd walk to the edge and then he'd walk back because he wasn't ready he was Mm. he was he was scared and so the next day he had his lesson and he went up and he just dived right off Mm. and his dad says afterwards hey what was different about today and he's like well i realized that that fear was driving driving me (laughs) and isn't that the whole kind of premise like Mm -hmm. this like head when certain emotions took control took control is like control center mm -hmm, yeah of the control center and other emotions were pushed out entirely so that's when the trouble ensues so yeah it's about all of the emotions coming together so Mm -hmm. this kid recognized that that's cool fear was driving and so the dad's like all right we're on to something like this is work this is gonna work (laughs) so that was such a sweet story and Mm -hmm. i I was like oh my gosh i gotta see this and all, all my all the kids I know, all the adults I know, the nieces, mm-hmm. but still I've yet to see yeah. it. I've heard think, great things. You know, I think what I share with my clients often is that uh, my Christian clients who would appreciate this uh, perspective, I will say to them, you know, God wants to be present with us and he's waiting for us to invite him in to our pain, to our process, to our difficulties, our stress. He wants to be there with us. And I think oftentimes we get the cart before the horse and we think, well, I got to get my emotions in check. I've got to get my bad feelings in check. I've got to get my past behind me. I've got to do, and then God will come in. I got to clean up my dirty business. Mm -hmm. And the reality is no, what are we waiting for? God Mm -hmm. wants to be in your brokenness with you, in your pain with you. He will walk through that painful process with you. I tell my clients all the time, being in therapy is painful. I'm going to ask you to sit with stuff that you've been avoiding for a long time. I'm going to ask you to face some things you don't want to face. And often you'll feel worse before you feel better. So you want to sign up for that? (laughs) You know, like I I need to give them that Mm. because that's reality. Mm. And if they want to get better, that's what it'll take oftentimes. And so... 
I put that out there. But then for my Christian clients, I can add, you know, but you don't have to walk this walk alone. You don't Mm -hmm. have to face this pain alone. God wants to be in your pain with you and to accompany you on this journey. And he's 24 seven, you know, you can only maybe have me for an hour a week, but he will be with you all the time. And that is an encouragement we all have. And if we all tapped into that, we could maybe face our wounds, we could maybe face more of those things we've been avoiding to reach that level of really having the freedom of emotional health. And when we don't, when we're storing up things we don't think we're allowed to process or we think are too messy or unchristian or don't show enough faith, we lose. We lose because we don't have the energy to actually live life. We lose because we stay closed in our boxes. We, you know, put out there what we think we can handle. And all of those are limits. All of those are limits that um, our lack of um, emotional health put on us. And so all of us have growth that we can reach. All of us have new levels of maturity that we can get to. Um, But it takes work. Mm -hmm. It takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes awareness. And there's no need to fear it because we don't face it alone. I'm probably going to listen to this podcast like 10 times. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. One of the, I'm going to ask probably two more questions and this one, and we might've hit on it, but I want to, I want to make sure that we do nail it or I don't know if we will nail it or not because it might be one of those gray answers, Mm -hmm. but what if you could pick out something that you wish more people understood about those with mental illness, what would it, what would it be? Mm. What would you hope that more people would understand? First of all, that you probably don't know what it's like. Just embrace the fact that you probably don't know what it's like. And be humble about your approach Mm. to these people. Understand that even if you have a similar diagnosis or a family member with a similar diagnosis, living with it is quite different. And because, like I've already said, it can be very individually different. Assume you don't know. I would say assume a very humble, curious position, and be willing to ask. Be prepared to hear something you don't want to hear. Hmm. You might hear that it's harder than you want to feel like people need to live their lives. Um, It may shock you how painful or difficult things are. And then I think the other thing that I caution folks is don't be so concerned about the rightness or wrongness of people's behaviors. That's really Mm. God's job. You know, the Holy Spirit can work in individual lives very differently. And I pray much more effectively than I can, or that anyone in a leadership position can. So most people know already plenty about what the Bible says and um, beating hurting people up with scripture is rarely helpful. And most of the time they already know it's in there. What they need to know is that they're loved anyway. What they need to know is that they're accepted anyway, and that God has love for them anyway. They know their behavior may not fit. They know they're awkward. They know they have a difficult life with a lot of problems. Um, And so I think what they're searching for is connection. What they're searching for is relationship which how different is that than for any of us they just have maybe a few more challenges to be consistent in those areas of their lives and to approach those things well and so yeah I think that humble I can't possibly assume I know anything about this approach can be so much more graceful and you know that's what we have to offer people is grace we want to be you know um 
that TV show from the 80s um, about the bar in Boston where I'm blitzing. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> um, so the the title song of that TV show, You Want to oh, Go Where Everybody Knows yes. Your Name. I think my dad preached sermons on that because <laughs> yeah. he's like, that's supposed to be what the church is yeah. like, right? That's where you want to be. And, and, and yet for people who are hurting and feel judged and feel wrong um, and feel, um, you know, just not quite fitting in the models and the molds that we hold up for people can be so painful. If I'm not accepted at church, you know, where am I going to be? And if I'm not accepted by God or God's representatives, these people in front of me, mm. where can I hope to find that? So, um, yeah, I, I say, you know, assume you know nothing mm-hmm. and be willing to ask and be willing to hear something that might be difficult to hear. That's good advice. You, you mentioned it already right in the, in the middle of that answer. Um, this next question I had, um, so maybe you can add a little bit to it or just say, that's it. That's, that's the way to do it. And the question is if any of our listeners have a mental illness or how you said before live with, mm-hmm. how can you offer any words of encouragement and hope mm-hmm. for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the one thing that's just kind of so real for me is do not do not avoid treatment. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself. So treat it like you had any other kind of medical diagnosis and feel good about getting that treatment for yourself. Um, feel good about seeking the supports you need um, to be your best self. And all of us need supports and they just come in different ways for different folks. And I would say, um, remember that even if we don't fit church behavior all the time, or even if we don't always feel like um, we belong, we always are loved and accepted by God. And remember that because he knows our suffering. He knows our lives. He knows what we've been dealt. He wants to be part of redeeming that for us. I cannot tell you how healing it has been for some people to truly come full circle from the, I hate having anxiety. I'm a total failure before God because I have anxiety to this anxiety is a gift and Mm. it's a gift that I bring to my family. And this anxiety is a gift that I bring to the church. God can redeem even distressing diagnoses and things that make life hard in different and beautiful, wonderful ways. And I, you know, I just am so privileged to journey with people um, who allow me into their lives. And I know people in my profession feel that way. And so um, I would encourage people, if you're not currently getting the professional help you need, don't be afraid of it and um, seek it out and embrace it and um, know that there is healing to be found, even if it's chronic and even if it's Mm -hmm. long term and even if there's no quick solution, there is help to live a brighter day. Not because, you know, there's everything's all tied up in a neat bow, um, but because you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And there's hope in Christ, and there's hope in healing. There's hope in professional help. Um, there's hope sometimes in medication. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Karen. Uh, okay, let's wrap it up with just hearing a little bit more about you. Um, what are you into? What are you following? I don't tend to have great availability to follow too many TV shows, but um, I do love cop and lawyer shows. Mm. So um, I've bounced around several of those through the years, and I'm a big Blue Bloods fan. So I am home usually Friday evenings, and I watch Blue Bloods. I don't know what that is. Oh, that is a TV show about New York cops, 
and district attorneys. So it's really great. It's, what network? It's CBS. Okay. Okay, I'll, now we're giving that I'll advertisement. Look into it. <laughs> um, but welcome. yeah, that's. I think that's kind of fantasy for me because yeah. I deal with kind of really raw interpersonal mm. stuff one on one, and I think cop and lawyer shows are just fascinating to me because it's have these big things out in public and it's just different. It's such such a different vibe from my sitting in my office. You know, I I, I joke with people that I sit and listen for a career, which I a bit more than sitting and listening but I do sit a lot so even though I have a step counter thing on my wrist I'm usually (laughs) way way behind because I sit for a living so I'm trying to find other pockets of time to do a little bit more walking Mm. it's good for me especially because I sit so much so I am my sister and I are trying to do some more steps they say sitting's the new smoking oh my so (laughs) that sounds great (laughs) sorry but and we're gonna end on that (laughs) Take care, everybody. Take it's care like of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's 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 it, Karen. But I'm telling you, I'm going to listen to this about 15 times because <laughs> you said so many so many great things that we can all learn from and just do it better. Like mm. do church better, love people better, lo- love ourselves better, mm. which is I think very hard for anybody. And if you're living with those other things extra challenges extra challenges that then it's even harder so to love mm-hmm. yourself better we we need all we need that so thanks karen oh, you're welcome thank you dr <laughs> karen. You know, i still kind of <laughs> giggle and i'm you know like at the office okay but anywhere outside of the office i'm like you really don't need to come with <laughs> okay well i'll stop okay <laughs> all right thanks karen you're welcome I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Karen. If you have any questions about any of the resources she mentioned, check out our website, www.uscwomensministries.com for today's show notes. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next time. Wow, such a great conversation. And I think I too am going to go back and listen a couple more times. As a reminder, listeners, if you or a loved one are struggling with anything mental health related, you can go to the website that Dr. Karen suggested, the National Alliance for Mental Illness or NAMI website to find support. And if you are in immediate crisis right now, try calling the National Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988, just those three numbers, 988. Thanks so much for tuning in today and sticking with us on this mental health awareness journey that we're about to start. Just wanted to be sure to wish you all the best this Christmas season. And if you happen to pass by a red kettle, please consider donating to the Salvation Army. The proceeds will go to help people in need, not just at Christmas, but all throughout the year. That's all for today. And as always, I hope that this podcast has left you feeling prepared and equipped for tomorrow. I'll see you real soon. God bless you.